Welcome to the Choi and Needle Show. We're here today with Ernest Alloy. He'll be singing, dancing, telling stories, and lots of poems, and making you laugh and making you cry. That's his job. I can sing and dance and make people laugh, especially yeah. when I dance. Pen <laughs> name is Ernest Alloys, and so that's what we'll go with that. So. And I have a reason for having a pen. I have lots of reasons for having a pen name, and I'd like to keep having the pen name. So, um, that's another day. That's another day. Yeah, it's another day. I, I could pause that, you know. No, I don't worry about that. No, we can. That's fine. No, so you could tell them all about your secret life. Oh, <laughs> secret life. My secret life isn't. It's not. It's not so secret. So I don't. Yeah. He's yeah. actually a congressman from Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Passed some legislation there on some kielbasa, and they just kicked me out, you know. So here's a poem we wrote last... My wife and I went up to Kernsville last weekend, which is in Sequoia National Forest. And, um, and uh, we enjoyed watching... Kern River flow. We were sitting in one of the canyons and watched the river flow. So, um, wrote this: Golden autumn leaves, many slope or many shapes, oak, cottonwood, willow, fallen into the rushing river. Some float on the surface, rushing by, seeing the valley in a superficial race. Others submerged, swirling in eddies, dipping down, swirling and dipping down to the stones, meandering in and out of the head of the backwater coming to the surface then cycling back to the depths greeting the trout swing by reaching the same destination having explored and making the most of its freedom I decided that I gotta be honest I, and I'm, I gotta say I'm, I'm actually very honored to be that you asked me to be in this issue especially with John Branningham because I ordered his book on Amazon one day not knowing he was even his book was published by Choi, and yes, I just then found it. And oh. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And I opened it. Oh. He's the poet laureate of Sequoia yes. National yes. Park, too. Yes. So yes. it all yes. goes together yeah. for you. Yeah. And the <laughs> reading this weekend, you'll be there, right? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've blocked off my two hours for to go listen to John Reed oh, and nice. have him sign I my know. book and Tomorrow, everything. Huh? So, yeah. Um, so these are some of the poems from this month's issue of Choi Needles. So at Bountiful Desert, uh, crispy crumble crunch, opulent black eyes peer above dried sage, assess the menu, speckled sandy scales stumble into view, bask just a moment, Bountiful Desert, rigid slender tail slowly slips away, feast before it's gone, a lizard's busy day. <laughs> yeah, I was, doing some st I was actually working on my van. Desert iguana popped up and couldn't resist but sit there and. I like the way sometimes you sneak uh, internal rhymes into your poems, you know. Well, cool. yeah, that's just, know that's a, a habit. If it's on purpose, a habit or what, it's, but it's, it's it, like. It's a habit. And then there was one day you told me that I was, some people were calling me the rhyming guy. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing. <laughs> but You do it really well, though. I always remember 
the long poem you wrote about the rhyme, long rhyming poem? Was oh, about or? yeah, it was. Yeah, no, it was about um, um, Johnny um, Lang. Yeah, it was Johnny Lang. I I got that. I I want to always wanted to write a poem where you. It was a poem, and I can read that one. I have that one with. Um, I was going to ask if you. Yeah, yeah I, I have that I one with. That yeah, one. I brought. I just brought stuff because I was. Yeah. I didn't know how long I was going to. I mean, how this was going to go, but. Um, no, I had always, growing up as a kid, I worked at a summer camp, and uh, every week we had a we had a campfire for all the campers that came in, and we had a, a ranger. He was with the state forest, and his name was Ranger Bill Mackey. And every week he would he'd had this book titled um, "Snickers from the Snuff Jar," and had all these great poems of being up in the North Woods of Minnesota, and and. Um, just the outdoors and things like that and and they were just great campfire poems and I really wanted to write something like that some kind of a ballad piece that can be read around a campfire and I just figured something around the desert was mm -hmm. and I thought of Johnny Lang's I like going up that way you go past Samson Rocks go up the canyon that way and think about all the history and then going by I was actually hiking by Lost Horse Mine when I came up with the idea for this so the Last Lament of Johnny Lang. And I have to always read this with a little bit of a Texas accent or drawl, as best I can anyway. So. <laughs> Last Lament of Johnny Lang. Gone out for grub, read the sign on my door, having no burrow, long trek to the store. Out of the canyon, sharp cold winter breeze, by foot I'd travel neath the Joshua trees. Mojave desert, arid, rugged land, mysterious mountains, coarse gravel sand, tower and yucca, pinion, pine and sage, creosote and choya assuage this stage. Getting dark and weary, the going be slow, thin, old and worn, I can no longer go. Found a spot to camp and unrolled my bed, filled with hard pain, I'd be better off dead. With dried grass and shrub, built a fire so crude, Fried strips of bacon, the last of my food. Saved one for morning, wrapped in wax paper. In the event, I'd finish this caper. <laughs> Clean, starry night sky, no need for a tent. Body grows numb, mind begins to lament. Curled under my tarp, head drift into dream. Pondering the past, thoughts flow like a stream. I had herded cattle, a cowboy by trade. From Texas through Mexico, southwest strayed. Dusty desert trails, herdwood graze in Rome, stopped in California, my final home. Our steers were content north of Salton Sea when my horse chose to move on without me. <laughs> Tracked him up the mountain, forward Sally, trail led me to this high desert valley. Behind a cabin, the horse I had sought claimed my McCainy and his wicked lot. Known to be outlaws, gang of ill repute, I said, "'Twas my horse, they quickly refute. McCainy mm. stood firm, spit chaw to the ground, staring back at me like some bloodthirsty hound. I argued a bit, enough to cause strife, didn't press my luck, fearing I'd lose my life. Though stealing my horse, McCainy, I think, mentioned a miner, a local Dutch Frank. Curious about the hermit they'd bullied, walked the valley, found him spent and sullied. Frank said he'd found gold but wanted no fame. McCainy'd steal from his defenseless claim. His life was worth more than gold and rich grief. How could this be? Deny wealth, disbelief. 
I left and returned with cash, arms, and men, bought Frank's claim, a thousand-dollar bargain. Lost horse mine, I proudly said it would be called. So much gold found, we were justly enthralled. Mining's hard work, my partners had their fill, sold their shares to Ryan against my will. That Montana rancher thought to build big, diggers, mills, trucks, a legitimate gig. Day and night, the labor would deliver amalgams of pure gold and quicksilver. But this was my mine, and much to my dismay, not enough yellow was coming my way. So rather than sulk, I stole an extra share. Whether it was legal, I did not care. Ryan claimed I was stealing, charges he'd file, unless I sold out and left in exile. He owned it all, my return he forbid. I stayed nearby to, to what I stole and hid. I could have left, spent my gold while hiding my face, but I found myself compelled to stay in this place. Soon after, lost horse would run out of ore, I'd move back and reclaim my hills once more. Solitude, wide open space, grand landscape, sparse terrain to discover and escape. I wonder, will someone find my last stash? I grin, chuckle a bit, my fire's now ash. Shivering cold with a clear starry roof, Ironic, leaving as I came, no hoof. Decades, a, decades ago, golden wealth I admired, only to learn twas this land I desired. Last thing I hear with my soul now at ease, the whooshing of wind through the Joshua trees. No, I got, because you, you do rhyme well. Well, yeah, thank you. you really that off. Mm. Thank you. I, I know I grew up in a musical family. My mom would always, mm. I mean, my mom was a choir director for our church, and so she was constantly playing piano. It was my grandpa who played a choir. I mean, we just, we were a musical oh, wow. family all over. And I played trumpet and sang and all sorts of things. And I love music. And so it's just, that's one of those things that just, that it's just whenever, whenever I, yeah, there's a rhythm in my head always. And so I think in one end, that, that really does help me. I, I, I think it's an asset to what I write. It's just, yeah. it's kind of mm -hmm. putting it all together so I'm just gonna keep going you just yeah, keep going. I do love I love this poem this is the first poem I read for at the Choi Needles at, at open readings for Choi Needles which I, I know I've said it a bunch of times thank you thank you Rich <laughs> thank you thank you everybody it's, it's I and I know I don't stick around very much to get to know everybody I got I, I'm just I'm also a very private guy I mean that's the I'm just I like I, I keep to myself. Today. Yeah, yeah, I'm so here today. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, but I, I, I do thank you. It's been very good for me. It's um, I've wanted to be a writer for a long, long time. It's just the other part of my life has gotten in the way, and now I'm kind of getting that point in my life where I like get back to it. Good. I was in college. I was in college. Uh, I wrote a lot of things about my friends and stuff. My kid, my, they, we would come down to lunch at the Commons, and they all wanted to know what I wrote that night. So it was, was kind of neat. So, so you had like two, three hundred poems about getting high. Oh no! I know. No, 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 no. I was. Yeah. No. I, I'm, no. No, I didn't get high. No, was, Whis uh, whiskey was my friend. <laughs> but this was the first poem I read at at Choi Neal's. I, I remember writing this sitting in a. It was a rainy day in the Rocky Mountains. I was sitting in a little cafe, and we, we couldn't go hiking or anything. So I just sat down and penned this out, and, and thought, "Yep, it's time to get back to writing." So, 
smartphone. How smart is my phone? It can connect me to friends by calling, texting, the web. Communication has no end. Many devices my phone has replaced. So long, calculator. Goodbye, notepad, atlas, and mouse interface. My phone can get information anytime, anywhere. It can tell me the weather, the news, sports scores, or the maker of some wooden chair. It can access histories to modern humanity, pictures, TV shows, movies, and music, and home videos of some cat on a manatee. I'm sure my phone can do so much more. Maybe milk a cow, fly me to Mars, <laughs> do the dishes, or any other menial chore. My phone can tell me how to live well, make money, what to buy, how to love and think. It maintains my safe personal shell. I can spend hours in my phone my mind can hide. I can watch footage of the dinosaur in my backyard. I don't even have to go outside. How smart am I? <laughs> oh, this was a, I wrote this poem. Uh, my wife and I, one July morning, this was a few years back, we decided to go out to Barker Dam, hike Barker Dam, be there by sunrise. But the, if you go to Barker Dam, there's one trail that goes by the dam, and then there's, if you know enough, there's a, there's a game trail that kind of goes back behind the, behind the other side of the, the reservoir and through the prickly pear, and there's a whole other canyon back up in there. And I was kind of figuring, well, the big horn sheep might be back there at that time. And sure enough, we got in there. And there they are, they're all nestled on top of the, the rock face up there. And, and the young rams were, it was, it was time to mate, and so they were starting to fight for the harem. So we got to see the rams up on up on top of the boulders just start doing their thing and bam and going through the canyon and everything. It was amazing to watch. We just sat on a rock, watched the sunrise, and watched the rams butt each other's heads. And wow. Heard a we saw a, we had a fox coming that actually followed us in. We were watching him also. We heard this loud roar. So we're like wondering, oh, that could have been a mountain lion. He must have woke up and pissed off a mountain lion. Something happened back there. Um, but we were watching the bighorns heads and enjoying the morning and then all of a sudden you heard this huffing and puffing coming up the canyon it's like we're trying to figure out where it was and all of a sudden you see coming up along the rocks very precariously because he's coming around the this hulking black ram and he had a chipped horn I mean you could this 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 dude's had a story and he's been around and he was snarling it's like are you kidding me these guys are these guys so I wrote about the Alpha Bighorn. Like marks on a chalkboard, scars mar the dark hide of a snorting, hulking ram. Massive chipped horns spiral on each side of his muscular head, lowered but pointed forward, lined with a prowling spine. He struts ahead on the canyon ledge with an intimidating glare, growling for a young male to accept his challenge. None dare to dethrone him. Wow. That's where that came from. <laughs> It's art tours, so I got this one. It's kind of more of an artsy poem, kind of ecology and art coming together, and science coming together. So I called it Organic Canvas. Upon their death, ancient masons laid down the canvas for the artist. Could you speak up just a little? I'll do that. Let's repeat. It's called Organic Canvas. Upon their death, ancient masons laid down the canvas for the artist recycling old mediums, intricate ta tapestries woven with strings of carbon. I like that one. Okay. My dad likes this one. My dad, 
Ed's an interesting character. I've got a couple poems written about him, but I'm not ready to share those yet. But um, my dad loved this one, so I'll read this one. It's called, titled uh, A Grain of Sand. A grain of sand born of Earth's fiery womb, expelled magmatic ooze, hardened crystalline gem, distorted quaking rock, contracting cool of night, expanding heat of day, cracked in this thermal way, decomposed by lichen, broken by bulging roots, tumbled in torrents of water, stone and debris, washed to the valley floor, polished, whittled into a grain of sand. Amen. Uh, down by Barker Dam, my wife and I, another morning hike, we got up, hiked out to Barker Dam. There's nothing in the water drained out of Barker Dam. And um, there was, there were paw prints all over in the mud beneath, mm -hmm. beneath the dam. And uh, so I wrote this one about that, titled Survival Waltz. Pairs of tiny teardrops, intermingled with broad clawed paws, maneuvered about each other, cornered against a canyon wall. They went left, then right, and about a boulder, one way in and only one way out. The sand remembers the story, but doesn't quite reveal the end. Oh, I like that. So, yeah, it was, and we, we sat there and we tried. I, I wanted to be like a master tracker and try and figure out what the story was. It's like you just couldn't figure out what... Somebody, somebody had to leave, <laughs> but, it, but it was it was pretty intense. I'm just gonna keep reading. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, by Bark. Actually, I wrote this one the same morning I, that that poem was written. There was a live oak titled "Live Oak." A striped squirrel lays outstretched, each leg on a separate limb, precariously nabbing acorns. A dense vegetative ganglion rooted in branches siphons nutrients from its resilient host. With airy twerps, a covey of quail bob about in the sparse shade, pecking remnants from the ground. A community thrives upon the scrappy oak, growing from neath the boulders, more than just alive. Because we brought that whole tip, when Rich asked me to do this, do this section and for, for the ecology issue, I was like, I kept thinking, you know, I got a pretty good background in ecology, and so I just thought that was just a really nice cycle of life going on in a single tree. Have you ever wondered why people live in the desert? I'm Dawn Davis, and I host Desert Lady Diaries podcast. It's a weekly conversation with women who found their home in the Mojave Desert. Each week, I talk to women who were either born and raised in the desert or felt called to come here and what the desert means to them. You can learn more about the podcast and listen at DesertLadyDiaries.com. I'm going to do a little shameless self-promotion. This is my book on Guatemala that... I mean, Rich just did an amazing job of putting the photos. Yeah. I was thinking it's going to look like a scrapbook with little photos in it, and he blew them up. Yeah. And it's just amazing, I think. So um, this is kind of a memoir of, of uh, my experiences in Guatemala. Um, <clears throat> and I just want to say um, I am not selling the book, but I am giving it as, as a an incentive to donate to Border uh, Kindness, mm -hmm. which is a group that's working with the refugees and mm -hmm. asylum seekers at the border. Um, 
So if you would like to donate to Board of Kindness, you can have a book. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, and this is mostly prose. I'm gonna read the introduction just to kind of give you an idea of why I did this. Decades ago, I started picking up remnants of rustic handmade textiles that caught my eye at rummage sales, garage sales, and thrift shops. Cotton fabrics embroidered with geometric symbols and sometimes with Mexico or Guatemala incorporated into the design became a collection. As I prepared to retire, I put Guatemala, the source of much of my collection, on my bucket list. In 2014, I joined a small focused tour to Guatemala a compatible group of 14 led by experienced travelers Sandy Escal and Richard Martin. Our intention was not just to see the sites, but to meet the people and understand modern day Mayan arts and culture. I was smitten. Along with wonderful memories, I came back with several vintage weepills and other examples of weaving excellence. In 2015, I went again on the same tour with a different but equally compatible group including my adult son, John. Surprisingly, he became quite a skilled shopper and came back with an impressive collection of weepills, particularly those with intricate geometric patterns. He also got to hike up an active volcano. My third trip in 2017 included my new husband and old friend and painting teacher, Paul Donaldson, who on our return home began a two-year project painting the people and scenes of the Mayan towns we visited. I began writing poems and short essays about some of the memorable people I met and have put them together with photos to share my impressions of Guatemala. In these recent days of political scapegoating of Central American refugees, I wanted to share my admiration for the Guatemalan people I encountered. We need not wall them out, but to open our arms and hearts to them. Morning coffee in Antigua. Early morning in Antigua, the town is coming to life. A woman sweeps the sidewalk in front of Fernando's. The coffee is on, and soon tourists and locals alike will stop in for a typical breakfast of eggs, black beans, plantains, and tortillas. We sit in the courtyard at a small table covered with bright handwoven cloth. The smell of locally grown Guatemalan coffee is tantalizing. The restaurant's cat comes to inspect us and we welcome him to sit with us. A young Mayan woman sets up her backstrap loom and displays her finished textiles for sale to the tourists. Her hands know the patterns well. They have been woven by Mayan women for centuries. They are traditional, symbolic. They have meaning in Mayan legend and culture. As we leave, an old man has claimed a spot on the front step. He is nearly blind, but carves a wooden angel and has an array of carvings next to him on the step for sale. We buy two wooden angels for 75 cents each. Oh, here, I've got two copies you can hold up. <laughs> Like, a, like the kindergarten teacher holding up the pictures, right? <laughs> okay, let's see. This is one of my favorites, and I actually did write it as a poem. In the Plaza, 
I stroll the plaza. I am wearing canvas sneakers. I pack light. I did not bring any leather shoes. Nonetheless, the shoeshine boy approaches me. Shoes shine? I chuckle and he grins. His box has only black polish and a little footrest for his customers to rest their foot on. There is competition for every dollar. The plaza teams with vendors and other shoeshine boys. I give him a buck to take his picture. The equivalent of the cost of the best shoeshine money can buy. There is dignity in well-shined shoes. <laughs> no, it's just, and those are my feet. <laughs> I'm going to get my shoes shine. Yeah, oh, he shot, did he shine your They looked like. Yeah. I mean, they look so good like this. All yeah. Over. Paul did get his shoes shined. We're going back in March. Okay, this, this one is about Mayan women. These are actually younger girls, but. <clears throat> if there's one thing you notice about Mayan women and girls, it's their hair. Jet black, lustrous, thick. Younger girls wear it in a French braid or ponytail down their backs, sometimes to their waist. Married Mayan women take on the unique hairstyle and adornment of their village. Each is distinctive. Woven ribbons and yarn tassels are wrapped around and through their hair. The more elaborate hairstyles are saved for village holy days and fiestas. On market days, many women carry their goods on their heads in baskets or bundles wrapped in a tsute, a utility cloth most women always carry with them. Their burdens are balanced by a folded cloth or cushioned by a thickly woven 26-foot ribbon wound around their head. I'm not going to read the whole book. Let me see. I like, I like the one about. Domingo, our guide. This is Domingo. And this is the hotel where we stayed on the lake. <coughs> Domingo, our guide. Unusually tall for a Mayan man, Domingo taught himself English so he could lead tourists through the towns and villages around Lake Atitlan. Two of his sons work in a local hotel, La Casa del Mundo, perched high on a hill overlooking the lake. It is known worldwide as one of the most beautiful places to stay when visiting one of the most beautiful lakes in the world. You can only get there by boat, and you may have to climb 84 stone steps to get to your room. Domingo comes from a long line of boatmen and ferries tourists and locals alike in his launch from one lakeside village to another. He is well versed in the history of the town of Santiago, his home. During the 1980s, it was a focus of the attempted genocide of the Mayan indigenous. He leads us through the town to the church where the American priest Stanley Rother was martyred for his defense of local peasants. Domingo tells us of his near kidnapping at the age of 10 by the government's military thugs carrying out a reign of terror. He was saved by the local boatmen, friends of his father. He tells of the murder of entire families, his neighbors, in the middle of the night, the disappearance of village leaders, and of bodies tied to crosses and tortured to death. He doesn't dwell on these things, but includes them in the area's history, along with tales of earthquakes and landslides and volcanoes erupting, and the churchyard serving as the evacuation center where many families took refuge. 
Gracious host that he is, what he doesn't mention to our small group of North Americans is the role played by the U.S. in this tragic history throughout the 1970s, 80s, and early 90s. He doesn't blame us for the manual on torture techniques printed in Spanish provided by the U.S. government to the Guatemalan military. He instead cared for us with grace and kindness, educated us about his culture, and gave us another reason to love Guatemala. Is that enough? This is a podcast, and this is how we say goodbye. Ta-ta. <laughs> Thank you. You coming back tomorrow? You have me scheduled to come back tomorrow. Excellent. I'm scheduled to be back tomorrow. So Good. I'm back. <laughs>